Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, August 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Hurricane Harvey, now Tropical Storm Harvey, is back in the Gulf. Hear from emergency management officials about preparations on Mississippi's Gulf Coast. The name of the game is just patience. We're not telling people don't volunteer to help. We're just saying make sure the timing is right. Today is the 12th anniversary of when Hurricane Katrina came ashore in Waveland. A look at preparation and response then. In our story course segment, a conversation between a man and his young son about lessons he's teaching by exposing him to protests. And kindergartners in the state have a stronger base for beginning their elementary school education. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Emergency Management officials and Governor Phil Bryant are keeping a watchful eye on Tropical Storm Harvey. The storm is out in the Gulf of Mexico after slamming Houston Friday night as a Category 4 hurricane. Forecasters say Mississippi will see rain and flash flooding. Governor Phil Bryant was at MEMA headquarters for a briefing with the National Weather Service Monday. He says this may not be our last strong storm threat. Uh, NOAA had predicted very early in the year that this would be an active tropical storm year. Uh, somewhere between 12 and 15 uh, storms would be available. So uh, unfortunately, this will probably not be our last time to be together. What we will do now uh, with the staff that you see here from the agencies around the state uh, is use this as an exercise. Uh, this will be an opportunity for us to uh, go about uh, determining what our assets are, or what we, uh, how we might be able to use those assets when available. Uh, we have uh, FEMA with us today, so we will be working closely with our local and federal partners. Uh, but the best that we can do is continue to monitor what conditions may uh, come from this, uh, from this particular event, but also give us an opportunity to respond in a real-world um, situation. Lee Smithson is executive director of MEMA. He tells MPB's Desiree Fraser the expectations when the storm makes landfall again. Well, right now, with Harvey reemerging out over the Gulf of Mexico, in a lot of ways it's given a, a little bit of a reprieve for, for Texas. It is expected to make landfall again on Wednesday, but it's not expected at this point to gain any more wind speed. So it's still, it's a tropical storm now with winds at about 40 miles an hour. And that's what it'll make landfall on Wednesday again with wind speeds of 40 miles an hour. So again, with Harvey, it's not the wind, it's the rain, and it's a lot of it. There are still some places in Texas uh, that could get uh, 16 inches more of rain accumulation uh, as it goes back onshore and then moves up into North Texas uh, through the latter part of the week. What does this mean for Mississippi? Well, right now, uh, unless something drastic happens uh, with relation to the track of, of Harvey, uh, we should be out of the brunt of Harvey. Our, our Gulf Coast uh, County should uh, still expect to see four to six inches of rain uh, with this system. And then southwest Mississippi, specifically Wilkinson County, uh, could see four to six inches of rain as well. So, it, And then all the way up into, through the delta, uh, through the latter part of the week, we'll get three to five inches 
chances of rain. So it's not as it stands right now. Uh, it's not going to be anything that is is going to be overly worrisome. Of course, the problem that we've had is this has been the wettest summer on record for Mississippi. So uh, there's really no place for the rain to, for the water to go right now uh, because our rivers are full, streams are full, and the ground is saturated. But at this point, uh, we don't expect anything catastrophic uh, with regard to Harvey. And so that's what we're just asking everyone to be patient. Uh, don't go trying to volunteer to help uh, in Texas until they need that help uh, and just be patient. Uh, we're, we're just now getting into the height of hurricane season. There's a system brewing off the west coast of Africa right now. So we're just, again, asking everyone uh, to be wary of, of Tropical Storm Harvey, but understand that we could see something else in the very near future impacting the coast of Mississippi. When is the season over? Uh, well, really, uh, the end of November, we saw uh, Superstorm Sandy uh, made landfall on Halloween Day. Uh, so uh, it goes all the way through the end of November is when we're officially out of hurricane season. Could there be any flooding? Uh, there could be some flooding. Again, uh, the ground is saturated. Our, our rivers and streams are full. Um, so we're saying four to six inches of rain. But with these rain bands associated with, with Tropical Storm Harvey, there could be isolated pockets of heavier rain, and that will create some flash flood situations. Uh, one of the biggest concerns uh, is the city of New Orleans because right now it's got 17 of its pump systems that are not operational. So that is a big, big concern. But uh, Mayor Landerneau has been very, very attentive to that. They're not planning at this point of evacuation of the city of New Orleans. What they're planning on is localized evacuations out of areas that are prone to flooding, but keeping them within Orleans Parish, Plaquemines Parish, um, Jefferson Parish, those areas there. So right now, with what the Weather Service is predicting with, with Harvey, we should not see a significant impact uh, to the Baton Rouge, New Orleans area that we saw last August. Southwest Louisiana will see some flooding, uh, but again, I think that they're prepared for it. Thank you, sir. Sure, my pleasure. Forecasters say it appears the storm will head north, northeast through Louisiana to Arkansas with wind speeds of 40 miles per hour. They continue to monitor the potential path. There is currently a flash flood watch in southwest and coastal Mississippi through Thursday. Coming up, reflections on the impact of Hurricane Katrina. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Twelve years ago today, Hurricane Katrina came ashore in Waveland, wreaking havoc on the coast with sustained winds of up to 140 miles per hour and stretching some 400 miles across. As Mississippians brace for another storm, many will reflect on the devastating storm. Author Nancy K. Sullivan Westman is the author of Katrina, Mississippi, Voices from Ground Zero. Her book chronicles the public health impact of the deadly hurricane with the stories of first responders. She tells us these are key perspectives in moving forward. These are the people who went into the emergency operations centers in Gulfport and Bay St. Louis four or five days before the storm. General Spragans had just retired from the Air Force and accepted the job as emergency management director for Harrison County. His first day on the job was to have been August 29, 2005. 
but he realized something strange was happening out in the in the Gulf. So he went in about five days early. Uh, the story starts with him saying that he had asked God for a challenge for his next job. And, and boy, did he get it, huh? He got a hell of a challenge. I don't think he ever... <laughs> he said next time he'll be more specific about <laughs> what he wants. <laughs> but uh, the the main character in the book, the, the hero from my perspective, was Dr. Robert Travnicek, who was the district health officer over the six coast counties at that time. He's since retired. When he came to the coast, he had just finished getting a master's in public health degree from Harvard. So he brought that new knowledge and an outsider's perception on how to get things done differently, and different he was and is. What was so significant that he did following Katrina? Following Katrina, he was the voice of reason to make sure that all the public health aspects were given due diligence. He had the courage one night when General Spragans was taking a nap to make the bold decision without authorization to sign off on some forms that let a volunteer group from Fairhope, Alabama, go into a shelter and move 350 people from an insanitary situation and thereby avoid a norovirus outbreak. He kept yelling to everybody who would listen that they had to get the water back on before they could turn the sewers on. Large parts of the coast had no water, no sewer for 10 to 14 days. And it seems like people would know that, that there would be contamination and, and, the, um, and the likelihood of bacteria released and people getting sick. Why did he have trouble convincing people of that? They'd just been hammered. They had had the monster mother of all storms hit them, and reason sometimes goes by the wayside. We've seen far too many times that a, a disaster or other emergency situation gets out of hand real fast. So somebody has to be the voice of reason, the stabilizing force. Moving forward, I know that you, you take their perspective and say, here's what we know or we need to know before the next strong hurricane comes ashore in Mississippi. What are some of those lessons? The first lesson is we need to listen to the people who were there front and center. We need to hear their stories to learn what they worried about before, during, and after. Some communications researchers in Florida studied this, what happens to people in a disaster. And they have found that these such crises are transformational. They're powerful forces of change. They talk about convergence, the development of a coherent, unifying story that subsumes other stories, themes, and perspectives. So it's important to be adequately prepared for a hurricane or other disaster and listen to the people who were there and learn from what they did right and what they say, well, we could have done better with that. Nancy K. Sullivan Westman is the author of Katrina, Mississippi, Voices from Ground Zero. Nancy K., thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Lee Smithson is director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier his experience after Hurricane Katrina. 
on, on August the 29th, 2005, I was a lieutenant colonel in the Mississippi National Guard. Um, I rode the storm out at Camp Shelby, and that the night of the 29th went down uh, to the coast. And from really the night of the 29th of, of August 2005 through late October, uh, I worked seven days a week, sometimes 20 hours a day. Um, in our response to Katrina in April 2005, I returned from a tour in Baghdad, Iraq, and I will tell you that what I faced with Katrina was much, much harder than what I went through in Baghdad um, because the w devastation was so widespread and this was my home. So um, it was really the hardest thing that I ever did, but at the end of the day, it was one of the most rewarding things that I'd ever done was just helping helping the people of Mississippi. And the Mississippi National Guard and the Guard from uh, 15 other states that came in uh, did a phenomenal, phenomenal job helping the people of Mississippi. And, you know, as bad as Katrina was, and it was, it was a horrible um, event, $109 billion in damages, uh, over 230 Mississippians perished uh, during Hurricane Katrina. We've come back bigger and better than we were before. So that's the one thing that, that, that I am proud of um, is that we, we were able to rebuild as well as we did after Katrina. Smithson also compared the impact of Hurricane Katrina to what is currently known about Hurricane Harvey. Now, with regards to tropical storm, or actually Hurricane Harvey, in the in the Houston area, uh, that's an impacted area of 4.3 million people. Um, so, and the flooding is is historic. So, right now, there is a possibility that the amount of damages that uh, were incurred from from Hurricane Harvey could be greater than Katrina. But the one thing to keep in mind is people heeded the advice to evacuate for the most part. So right now there's been only five confirmed fatalities uh, related to uh, Hurricane Harvey, as opposed to, again, the 238 from Mississippi. Over 1,200 people total in Mississippi and Louisiana perished uh, in Katrina. So as far as in terms of loss of life, um, Harvey uh, is not anything near what, uh, what Katrina was, but the damages will be pretty significant. Tropical Storm Harvey is expected to return inland by Wednesday, headed towards Louisiana. Coming up, education officials say improved kindergarten readiness test results show better foundation for Mississippi students. That's after our StoryCorps segment. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. While Mississippi doesn't have a statewide lottery, many of its citizens buy tickets in the neighboring states that do. To get you ready for winning a multi-million dollar jackpot, the next Money Talks will discuss what you shouldn't do if you have a large windfall. Should you take a lump sum or annual payments? Do you still need a budget if you win $700 million? We'll also take your personal finance questions. That's on Money Talks. It's today at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Making your voice heard. When it comes right down to it, that's one of the main points behind a project like StoryCorps. For Albert Sykes, it's an important lesson to pass on to his son, Aiden. That's why, from a young age, Albert has exposed Aiden firsthand to the concept of peaceful protest. In this excerpt from the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi, young Aiden asks his father about their protest activities. So, Dad... Why do you take me to protest so much? I think I take you for a bunch of reasons. One is just that I want you to see what it looks like and feels like when people come together. And I don't think we ever been to two protests 
or uh, two gatherings that were about the same issue. So you've been with me when I've been places where it's been solely about education or where it's been solely about voting or where it's been about immigrant rights and so many different other issues. And I want you to see what it's like for people to come together, but also for you to see the diversity of, of reasons and issues that bring people together so that when you start to figure out what you want to do with your life and you don't have to do it no way near similar to what um, I'm doing, but I do want you to be informed in the decisions you make in your life uh, and the different type of people that exist around us and the issues that exist around us. So regardless of if you decide that you want to uh, be a cab driver, then you got to be the most impactful cab driver uh, that you can possibly be and touch people's lives. Because some of the, and I said cab driver just as an example, but I've had some very interesting conversations in cabs all over this country uh learning about communities from people that's picking me up to take me from the airport uh to the hotel or, or you know picking me up from the hotel to take me to the airport uh the first protest i remember is going to a car wash with my dad <laughs> it was exciting helping and just getting to spend time with my dad <laughs> It was about a fundraiser for YPP. So that wasn't a protest. <laughs> but I don't know. That was that was one event that you yeah. went to, but that's not a protest. A, a protest is like the when we go to the places and the people have the signs and they talking on the microphone and you got a bunch of different speakers that's saying different stuff or when we marching or stuff like that. Those protests. Do. I don't remember not one of those. <laughs> okay. That was so long ago. <laughs> it was in the wake of Katrina and going down to New Orleans and really speaking. Aiden was born in July of that year. Aiden, you were, yeah, you were born in July. Um, and so... We went to New Orleans. You were maybe, what, four months, five months old. And um, being out there and really protesting the housing situation where folks who had been caught up in the storm and lost property in the storm, particularly their houses, wasn't able to come back to the city. And um, they were losing their houses. I mean, and this was in such a quick time. Like, people were losing their houses for tax reasons and miss mortgages on a house that's no longer standing. And so I remember having Aiden, having you in my arms and just like wondering to be in 2005 and to see how racist things were um, in comparison to what I thought, because I wasn't um, like, I knew racism existed, but in so many different ways, I had never seen it as blatant as what I was seeing after Katrina. And to have you there, it made me think about what kind of world um, would I actually be leaving behind for you or what kind of world would I be helping shape um, throughout your life. And so I definitely remember what it was like to hold a baby and stand there in the middle of the aftermath of Katrina. And not just to think about you, but to think about all the other little kids in New Orleans uh, some who ain't fortunate enough to have their dad hold them through any situation. Um, but then also, the, the it were kids that were just as young as you 
that was sitting on rooftops for two or three days uh, with their parents, you know, they're being breastfed by their mothers or whatever, and policemen would pass by whole families and not even help them. And it was kids that were, you know, five and six months old, just like you were, that lived through that ordeal. And so that was the first time I took you with me. Um, Then we've been to a few. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi kindergarten students are showing improvements in the statewide STAR Early Literacy Exam. Nearly 37,000 kindergartners took the assessment during the 2016-17 school year. 65% of those students scored above the target proficiency score of 681. The Department of Education says the test lays a foundation for academic readiness. Jill Dent is director at the Office of Early Childhood at MDE. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware more about the exam. It's a computer adaptive assessment. It has about 27 questions on it. It is comprised of literacy and numeracy. Um, It takes about 30 minutes to administer. And so children complete this on a computer. So our beginning of year target score for kindergarten is 530. The end of year target score for our four-year-old students that are in a, an early learning collaborative or a school-based pre-K program is 498. The other piece of information there with target scores is what we hope to see for kindergarten students by the end of the year is for them to reach 681 on this assessment. So with the target score of 681, what does that show about the kindergarten students? If they reach this point... In this assessment, we are projecting that they will be successful if they have a quality um, environment in their first grade session, their second grade session. By the time they get to their third grade year, we think that they will be successful in their third grade assessment. What was the average score among the districts this last year? The average spring score was 585 within, and these are four-year-old children, so they're leaving pre-K and will have started kindergarten in August. So that score was 585 in the spring. So with other funded pre-K programs, that average score is 549 for this past spring. What were the average scores among the districts on the kindergarten star literacy exam? So the um, average score for kindergarten was 710. And so with these new numbers, what improvements that we've seen over the last few years? In pre-K, the averages for the scale scores have gone up over the last three years. For the early learning collaboratives, the end-of-year scale score for 2015 was 528, and for 2016 was 555, and then for 2017 was 585. So you can tell each year the scale score has increased for our early learning collaboratives. Now, for the other funded pre-K programs, they have 
increase some as well. So at the end of the 2015 year, their average scale score in the spring was 536, and for 2016 was 552, and then for 2017 it dropped just a little bit um, to 549. And then for the kindergarten scale score over the last three years, for 2015, they ended with a 680. And then for 2016, they ended with a 703. And then for 2017, they ended with a 710. So you can also see that they have also increased their scale score averages each year. Jill Dent is the Director of Early Childhood Education for the Mississippi Department of Education. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Sure, I'm happy to do it. Experts say achieving proficient scores is the foundation for future academic success. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.